Not sure what sports are provided in Calgary? Sport Calgary Sports Directory will help you find the sport and sport organization that's right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Well, hello, kids, and, and welcome back to another edition of the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. Our little bit of a slower rotation here in the summertime, but what a, I, this one's a good one. Like, I'm telling you, if you're picking the first podcast to listen to in this series, you picked a good one. I'm really excited about our guest, really excited about the uh, the places we go and that what we get to talk about because it's, you know, this whole thing is about conversation of sport and Calgary, uh, Calgary and Calgarians and sport. And today we get to combine both of them. We get to talk about a young Calgary kid who's living the dream with arguably one of the best early success stories we've ever seen in in uh, professional sport, at least in recent history, for uh, new teams. Uh, I'm talking about Marco Carducci of the uh, Calvary, but the uh, Calvary FC. What a, a debut season for both last year in the CPL. Uh, Marco is a, a Calgary-raised player. He, he developed here. He moved off to Vancouver um, to, to kind of get better, but has come home. And last year, well, doggone it, wouldn't you know, he was the premier per- performer in the entire uh, CPL. He, he was the top guy. Doesn't matter what the position was. Marco Carducci was that guy. And uh, he actually ended up uh, winning a, a Volkswagen, which was kind of cool. Um, but he was your top per- – and he's a great kid. He's a kid sport ambassador. He's just a lot of fun. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get to that, just a reminder that Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. All right, let's go one-on-one with one of the best young keepers in the entire game of football here in our country right now, Marco Carducci of Cavalry FC. It's a great conversation. The interesting part about this conversation, Marco, is it's it kind of where we started to where we are. When we started these podcasts, it was like, oh, my God, what are you going to do as an athlete right now? You can't train. You can't go outside. The Olympics are – you're our first guest that is actually back to work, if you will, through this whole process. What's that experience been like? And I guess the tag to that is what's it like without – unless something's changed. You don't really still have an official start date, do you? No, you're right. So as much as it's it's been uh, a welcome return to get back onto the field and, and be back to work, like you mentioned, um, we're still waiting on some confirmation, which certainly has been difficult because you know we, we've basically been in the longest off season slash preseason of all time. Um, but of course, it, it is what it is at this, at this point. So um, we're still waiting on confirmation, but you know we're we're back training. There, there's still some some rules in place about the phases we have to progress through to do everything safely. And of course that's something that we're following really diligently. Um, but hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, we'll, we'll be more or less back to normal and, and getting ready to uh, get ready for some games. So what's training like now compared to say a year ago? Well, how would, if I came and watched you train, you know, a year ago and now, what would I notice is the big differences? That's a great question. I mean, a year ago now, and, and you know, if, if everything was relatively normal, uh, if that's where I would have put it, uh, this year, we're in the middle of the season. Uh, and for us, that means there's lots of travel. Uh, there's games you know, typically every weekend, and there might be midweek games in between. So uh, in terms of the training, uh, obviously the big, the big one that, that's obvious that stands out is, 
we'd be at our facility, we'd be training all together as a team like we normally do, whereas right now there are still those limitations in terms of numbers and, mm-hmm. and what we can do. Um, but we'd also be um, you know, gearing up for games every weekend. Uh, and, and that's one of the beautiful things that we're definitely missing is that you're training, and that's fantastic. But uh, you know, when you're in the season, you'd see us last year preparing for another game. You know, That might mean rest and recovery, but then it also means the tactical, um, you know, studying and, and review of other teams getting ready to play and, yeah. and be at our best when, when those games come. So uh, we're, we're trying to do that as much as we can, but at this point, again, it's still you know, building back up and, and getting back up to those fitness levels and, and that sharpness that we need. So, and again, I'm just from the outside guessing. You come back, everybody's excited to be back. We've got the okay, we're back. But then you get into it, and now it's kind of, I imagine there's probably a lot of emphasis on the leadership. There's a lot of emphasis on the manager, the coaches, to kind of keep everybody up, right? Like, it, it'd be really easy at this point to, as you say, you're not working on tactics for a team. You're just kind of staying sharp. It's got to be a bit of a challenge, too. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, you know, again, the first couple of weeks for back in, everyone's just flying because <laughs> it's just amazing to be back on the pitch and, and training again and, and getting back to what we're, what we're doing. But it certainly hasn't been easy because um, to keep that motivation and keep those levels really high when you're kind of just sitting and waiting uh, to hear what might be whatever this season is going to look like. It isn't easy by any means. So, you know, I think we have a really great group here in Cavalry uh, in Calgary. Um, that starts from our management down and our, and our coaching staff and, and the players that we have. Uh, we all know what we're preparing for, um, even though we have to wait to get that, that actual confirmation of what that is. But, you know, when it comes, we just want to be ready. So uh, I think that gives us motivation enough to just keep working hard and keep preparing properly. Do the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs of other pro sports trying to get going, does that weigh on you at all? Does it... You know, oh, geez, there's a problem in baseball or basketball or something. It's like, th- does that enter into the conversation for you at all with what's going on with other sports? I think, I think I'd think i be lying if I said no. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's hard not to, to see what's going on, right? We're, we have such quick and instant access to, to everything and, and everyone seeing what, what are they doing, how are they done it here, and different sports, different parts of the, uh, parts of the world um, that are all, you know, figuring out these approaches so you know we've certainly seen and heard and, and you and you think about that but you know from my perspective um as much as i do see those things and, and make my little judgments in my head i'm also trying to say you know what uh, i'm not the decision maker here yeah uh, i know we're in capable hands i know i know you know that, that starts from the government really and then makes its way through you know the, the leagues and whatnot and uh, i think it's just our responsibility as players to or take take part when we need to and make sure that things are going as they should um, from a player's perspective. But uh, those decisions are being made uh, behind the scenes, right? So it's sure. just like keep the head down, keep working, and, and wait. You know, Marco, if I could re-ask that question, I think I would have phrased it North American sports versus – because football's back in Europe, right? It's been back in Germany. It's back in, in England. Yeah. It's back in other places. The flip side of that is it must be also nice to be able to talk shop and and see a little bit of business going on in, in the game. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think we're probably coming on uh, maybe five or six weeks now. Yeah. Even that, that some of those first leagues started kicking off uh, the German league, like you said, and now England is back playing Italy. 
Spain. So obviously, first and foremost, as a fan and a, and a, and a lover of the game, it's it's just phenomenal to be able to watch again and, and see those, those teams playing and, and following along. And um, I certainly missed that over that period when, when everyone was shut down. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's like you're, you're watching those and you're seeing what they're doing. And, and again, different parts of the world had, had different issues that, that they all had to overcome um, over these last few months. Um, but first and foremost, it's just, yeah, it's exciting to watch it again and be like, you know what? I hope I'm the one on the pitch soon enough. <laughs> uh, you mentioned before kind of that the, the, there's some issues, not issues, but there's you know some things that are happening in training. So it's not exactly the way it would normally be. But for you and your position, how much has that impacted you? Um, not being able to have the entire group together, not be able to train with the group. Is that impacting you as a, as a goalkeeper? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Rob. Uh, you know, we've actually been somewhat lucky. I'd say the first part as goalkeepers is that we, uh, the joke is in, we're on our own all the time anyway, mm. right? So um, we're always training on our own, uh, at least for, for portions. So right. um there was definitely some limitations uh, early on. We've been able to progress where uh, at least our kind of technical portion where, you know, we're working with the goalkeeper group. It only is two or three guys anyway, including our coach. So we've been able to continue that well, which has been great because you, know, you kind of just after those first, again, those first few few days of, of individual training and whatnot, you're able to progress uh, into that. But we're certainly missing still the uh, the team aspect, right? Because yeah. you just you, as, as much as you, we were trying, you, you really can't replicate those game scenarios, which are so important for everybody, but for goalkeepers in particular, um, where you need to just be seeing things in real time uh, and and those reactions and and those decision making moments. Uh, those things will come uh, for sure, but uh, that's something you're missing when you can't train with the full team in those regular environments we're used to. Okay, the first of many dumb questions I'm sure I'm going to ask, but uh, as a keeper, though, if you're only working with other keepers and a coach, do you get the sharp kind of shots and, and work that, you know, again, to simulate game situations, you do want some of your strikers taking shots, don't you? You do want to be facing full-on attack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um we do a, we do a very good job. Um, I'm going to I'm going to vouch for the group. Okay, uh, you know our training. Yeah. you know we're able we're able to to do that and and you know again here I'm blessed to have a great coach and, and another goalkeeper on the team. We all have a fantastic relationship and, and we push ourselves very very well and that that training is paramount for us. It, it's it's that foundation, it's the, the technical, uh, but also the tactical stuff and the game stuff that we can replicate. But to your point, you're absolutely right. I mean. Um, to really get that, again, that experience and, and that, that realism that you get from working with the strikers on the team, working with, you know, mm-hmm. all the other players, uh, the speed of play, the, again, those decision-making moments where um, everything's not just drawn out and you know what's happening. Now it's like, you know, you're in a game situation and anything can happen. Um, those are certainly, those are certainly things that um, you need the team to do. Right. So um, when we get back to that, it's going to be a welcome return for sure. One one of the things that bugged me as I got older in the business was that you know we made a big deal about training camps or even pre-training camps, and then you get into games and you forget about the pre-training camp. I want to ask you, your coach Tom or your manager Tommy was on here, right, kind of at the height of it, and he was talking about the things you guys were doing as a group on Zoom and and you know and getting together as a group and and you know he's saying the right things, positive, it's working. 
Was there value in some of those things you guys did over computers? Was there some value in getting together before you could train? Um, because I know we were all, tr- nobody had been through this, right, Marco? It was all brand new. I, I just wonder yeah. if, you know, now that you come out the other end, was there some value in some of those things you guys did? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, like you said, it, it was it was brand new. It, it was strange going from, um, you know, I remember we, we were basically entering our second week of preseason when, when everything had stopped. Um, and that uh, is kind of right when you're ramping up and building up and getting used to being in training all the time. Um, so it was completely new and it, was, and it wasn't easy by, um, to kind of adapt to that. But, you know, we, again, have such a strong culture that's already yeah. built within the team. The new players that have come in um, pretty much instantly were were uh, were drawn into that and bought into it. Um, and all those, yeah, it was, it was a lot of Zoom calls. It was a lot of uh, workouts that we had to log and record and send to the guys for accountability. And, um, you know, we still discussed you know, tactics and, and kind of all those important things that we're going to need when the season does come around. We had that amongst the group. And, and again, everyone everyone was 100% uh, committed to doing it properly. Uh, and I think now that we're back into training, and yeah, we're still waiting on those games, but those moments helped us in some way uh, stay on track. Of course, it, it could never be the same as mm-hmm. regular training environment like, like we've discussed. Yeah. But the, the team chemistry, um, you know, seeing the guys, at least virtually, um, conversing, talking about not, not just the tactical stuff, uh, and the game stuff, but also, again, just being in a, in a group chat with everyone and seeing faces and, and, and chatting and see how everyone was how everyone was doing. Uh, I think that paid paid off massively, and and I'm sure it's going to be a benefit for us in the future. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, right? Like everybody gets excited when you know back on the pitch or back on the ice, wherever you forget about that stuff mm-hmm. and. You know, because nobody had ever done it before. I was wondering if we were going to run into certain situations in certain sports where it was just really busy work. We just we kept everybody occupied. If there's a benefit to it, like you say, if you come out of it and you feel a little bit like a tighter group and everything, wow, that's a positive. That's making something out of nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So okay, we we don't know when the start is, but likely going to be a hub scenario. Are you prepared for hub life? You know what? I'm, uh, I'm, I think so. Uh, but again, it's, there's so many, there's so many, uh, new variables that's popping up at us. Right. So this will be, it'll be something different. You know, we, we are used to, and I'm definitely used to, to being on the road. Um, but probably not for as long as this might be, uh, and, and not in, in the, the world that we're living in. So, um, you know what, if, if it's the way that we play games then I'll make sure I'm ready one way or another. Uh, but yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting experience. What about no fans? What about because that was such a huge part of your team's success last year, and your story was finally getting that in Calgary in, on a big level. What's it going to be like to to play in an empty venue? Do you think? Yeah, it's like you said. I want to make a, the point very clear. I mean, here again, I'm a, I'm a Calgary boy, and. Yeah. You just saw the support we got, um, not only from from our supporters groups, um, you know, the foot soldiers, for example, who mm-hmm. just grew massively and and were incredible all year long, but just all the supporters, all the fans, everyone who came out. Um, it was just so cool to be a part of that. And again, for me, it's it's, it's my backyard team, it's my hometown team, and 
and to, to be on the field and seeing that support and that growth from the beginning of the season to the end and, and through all the highs and lows we experienced, that's that's part of the game. That's a major part of the game, I should say, right? It's Without the fans, it really is nothing. So um, it will be weird. It will be different. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, as much as it's, it's not ideal by any means, yeah. um, playing in front of no fans, that is, um, hey, that's how I played soccer for most of my life, right? So uh, at the end of the day, it's... Uh, I think the difficult right, the difficult part is is you know nowadays that, that feels like a like a training game you know you're playing like a closed door friendly yeah. preseason yeah um, but obviously you know that that's just a mental shift to say yeah there's no fans yeah you're not home or away uh, you're playing in one one hub city in, in one location or however many locations there might be um, you know the field's the same length uh, the goal is the same size all those things don't change so. Uh, it'll be it'll be different and it'll be certainly a little bit uh, awkward or maybe a little eerie without the fans because you hear a lot more when there's when there's not as many people uh, screaming and cheering. Um, but you know, it's it's just one of those things you, you got to deal with it and and play the play the same game. That's it. So what's it for you? Because you and I had con- have conversations about you know when you played Montreal last year when you played Vancouver you were a, a, a keenly aware of your environment. Is, is that a normal thing for you? Are you a guy that when you're in a game, are you aware of everything going on, or are you able to shut it out? What do you What do you need from a crowd to perform? Yeah, great question, Rob. I think um, that's the funny thing is is I'm certainly aware of it, and, and that kind of makes me think about um, your your earlier question. Now, now talking about playing with fans, you know, you're certainly aware of it, and it builds that atmosphere yeah. and and that uh, amazing kind of just buzz that you feel when you go into a game and you hear the fans um but it's funny because uh pretty much as soon as the, the, the game starts you almost at least for me i i think for the most part i've gotten good at just kind of blocking things out um not only you know if we're at home and, and everyone's cheering me on uh it just kind of becomes that background noise mm-hmm. that's behind you and you yeah. and, and you kind of feed off of it absolutely and that, and that plays a big part um so you'll miss on that for sure. You know, there's moments in games where the fans start, you know, raising the levels and, and maybe there's great moments that we're, we're near scoring and you can feel that like energy build up. And I think that absolutely comes onto the pitch. You know, for me as a goalkeeper, when you make a big save or, or, or do something, a, a key moment and you feel that buzz behind you, that that's massive. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I like to just kind of, I get in that zone where, you know, especially if you're playing away and, and people aren't as friendly to you, <laughs> uh, you just block it out. It's just it's just that background noise. So, so you definitely feed off of it a bit. Um, but when I need to, it's, it's kind of one of those things where um, it's just part of the atmosphere. You know? Yeah. Well, it's a brand new loop, so it's, you know, a little bit tough to talk about the history of the CPL. But when you went through it last year, were there tougher places to play? Was there any one place that, you know, maybe the fans were a little bit more on top of you than others? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a good question. I think the first city that comes to mind was um, Halifax, um, mm. and there's there's several reasons for that. Um, first of all, it was it was a fun place to go and play. Yeah, um, they had a, they had a great little, uh, somewhat similar to kind of what we built at Spruce Meadows uh, with Aqua Field, a very kind of homey, soccer specific, unique kind of venue. Um, you know, and, and credit to them, they they filled the stands 
you know, every single time we were there. And I think pretty much throughout the entire year. Um, so first of all, it was a cool place to be and a cool place to play. Um, but the fans were just, they were passionate and, uh, they were certainly in my ear the whole game and, okay. and it was a tough place to go. Not only, not only when you're on the pitch, but you know, for us, you're flying four and a half, five hours to get there. Uh, it's a three and a half or four, whatever, three hour time change. I think three hours, that's right. Three hour time change, you know, like all these things that are just like extra factors. Uh, and then on the game day, it's just loud and the fans are all over you. Uh, that's fun. Again, you feed off it. So as much as it's like maybe the hardest place we want to go play, um, it's also like one of the most enjoyable. So let's talk about hecklers. Profanity to me is lame. It's sim- simple. Everybody can do it. I think there's an art to being a good heckler. Um, th- did you come across any good creative hecklers last year? When you get someone who's maybe digging a little deeper, you know, going into your past or something a bit more personal, like you almost have to credit it when it when it comes through there. You, for me, for example, I'm nothing obviously that crosses any 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 lines, but um, you know, there there's ones about. Uh, and I'm not the only person that, they, that may have heard this one, but, you know, they'll, they'll go back and I played at the Vancouver Whitecaps and uh, you're, you're playing in Vancouver and uh, you're just hearing uh, Whitecaps reject behind you. And, and you're just kind of, it almost makes me laugh because I'm like, you know what, like, if that's what you see it, sure. Um, we, we obviously ended up knocking them out of the Canadian championship. So yeah. um, I think we, we, we did enough on the field to, to prove them wrong. But, but things like that, right. It's like, there certainly is an art and I think you're, uh, you got a great point there. Well, it, it's really it comes from CFL players. That the CFL players will will tell you that you know Hamilton, Saskatchewan, some of those places where the benches are right up against the stands. That you know anybody pro- profanity is easy. That's lame, right? Guys who can get creative, who can use a little history, who can who can tell a little story or something like that. That's pretty awesome. Like you got you got to show a little respect that way, right? Yeah, and I think I think it's it's a part of. Um, all sport really, but like yeah. in soccer that, that when you go away, you're expecting that you're playing not only against the 11 other guys on the pitch, but you're in a hostile environment. And, um, to just, to, you, when you hear that, you're almost like, yeah, this is, this is how it should be. Yeah. You know? and, and I almost expect, I expect the same things when, when teams come to Calgary to play, uh, it, it's going to be 90 minutes, uh, on the field that they don't want to be there. But then, uh, it's also, them just going in from from the minute of kickoff to the end, they're just they're just getting in. I think that, I think we were we were very good at that too. So it, it's part of the, the atmosphere and the culture, and I think uh, it's kind of cool to see. So that's the about the second or third time you've used that word culture, and I wonder a little bit about you know I'm old enough to remember the old Edmonton Drillers and you know the New York Cosmos, the NASL in the late '70s, and we thought, well, here. Pro soccer's in Canada. It's seven. It's going to be forty thousand, right. fifty thousand people, and that lasted a year and a half. And then it was a struggle for four decades. And I always heard, "Wow, it's soccer. It's boring. It's this, is that." To me, it's the culture that people on the outside. If you don't get that, then you don't get the sport. And you know that here in Calgary, we can get into Calgary's long history of, of missteps, missteps, missteps. But you know, to have a place like Atco Field, to have you know, fan clubs and, and chants and all of that to truly appreciate and understand the game. You have to understand that part. Don't you? You're absolutely right. Again, Rob, I think, um, 
an example of it is, is when you know people watch and maybe for people who aren't aren't as, as aware or are not as familiar uh when you watch a game whether that's in england or or mm-hmm. really anywhere in europe and you see that like clubs that are hundreds of years old like over 100 years old um that's all part of the game um I kind of grew up experiencing that because I come from a soccer family and yep. um, I was wearing my team's kit when I was a baby uh, yep. and, and it's on TV and you support them. And, and um, it's again, not just a sport. I think people, um, you know, I think the popularity is grow, growing massively and, and more and more people are appreciating the game for what it is, but it's not just again, the, the 11 v 11 on the pitch and a 90 minute game. It's, it's the atmosphere, it's the culture, it's it's the fans and the supporters groups. It's, it's what it all means in the kind of like the big picture. And, um, you know, if you don't, like you said, if you don't really see that, it, you're not getting the full the full picture of what soccer really is. Oh, and I, uh, gosh, I'm still learning about it. I, you know, we were talking about Hub Cities earlier, and it was interesting, some of the stories that were um, coming up about, they're going to play in Hub Cities, and they wanted supporters clubs to record chants and things like that, and they're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, we're not going to do that. Like, where else? Where else in sport does the fan base really kind of have that kind of voice? Most cases, here's your ticket. You know, we'll take your money. You can buy your jersey. Again, football internationally, exactly. there's a lot more of a connection. There's a lot. It's a, there's an equity to it to be a fan and to be the team, isn't there? Absolutely right. I think we're getting that here. Yeah, um, which is very very cool. Um, but you bring up a good example: the, the fans. And a lot of situations are the biggest stakeholders. Hmm. Um, if the fans are unhappy, uh, a club will not do well in, in Europe, for example. Uh, and again, it's not just, hey, let's go buy a ticket and go enjoy a game. And, and, and that's, you know, yeah. maybe that's more of the situation in some sports here uh, in North America. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there, as a supporter, it's not just, it'll be a fun uh, Saturday afternoon. It's, I am invested in this club as much as the guys in the field, the people in the office, the coach on the sideline. Yep. Um, so you're you're 100% right, but there's so many examples you can look at where uh, fan, fan groups and supporters groups, they hold some serious sway. Well, your former um, club, and I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to get you to weigh in on it, but you know the Vancouver Whitecaps have had an interesting 12 to 18 months, and the fans have pl- played a role in that too, right? Like it's now in North America. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're right. Definitely, again, it's, it's a part of that, that that culture, and now it's now it's worldwide, which is what, the way it should be. I think. I think so too. And and what I like about it is that you know in in North American pro sports, it's become so cookie cutter, right? Arenas are the same size, ballparks are roughly the same, football stadiums are at least with the with a a, a football club or soccer side, you have the ability to create that culture that makes every place unique. Like I can only imagine in your travels that you played in some really unique experiences, right? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I think uh, a good way to put it to is, uh, I think the word organic mm. does a very good job of describing, um, kind of that, that culture. Uh, you go from one place to the next, everything is organic. Everything is, is from the ground up. Um, and, yeah, it, just, it would be hard. We we could spend hours just chatting about. I've been I've been so fortunate to be able to, to experience the game in, in many parts of the world and see it uh, grow in, in different areas. But um, 
it's incredible just the amount of, of uh, how unique it can be in, in different areas. And again, just seeing that, that supporters culture um, worldwide. And now here, Again, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I have, a, I have a whole other appreciation for it, and people who listen to this podcast uh, will know what I'm about to talk about because I've been raving about the... I don't binge watch a lot of things, but during the pandemic, after the last dance, I found Sunderland till I died, and I thought that was... That might have been the best freaking thing I've ever watched in terms of sports and Incredible. access. Isn't it? Like, the access was right. just unreal. Um, and yeah. I work in sports, and, and there's so many things that you can see in hockey that are the same, but the one takeaway I had was here you have this team that gets relegated and gets relegated. North Americans do not like, there's a whole other level of fandom that gets you up in the morning and pulls on a Sunderland Jersey after you were two years ago in the premiership. And now you're in the first division. Like that's a whole other thing. Like it's, you're right about the history of the game and the fandom to it. It's, I, I, I often wonder if, if North American fans appreciate what relegation is all about and, and what kind of pressure that puts on the fans. I'm not talking about the team, but the fans, that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, for people who, who are maybe listening to this and and not sure, and they haven't watched it, just watch it. Uh, Thunderland until I die. I mean, you won't regret it, but that's a great. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, the the football club basically is like the first thing. Like the, how well the football club is doing is how well the city and the people are doing, basically. And you know, there there certainly are some negatives to that. It yep. could be you know maybe detached a bit, but uh, it's just incredible to see that. So yeah, if you haven't watched it, watch oh, it. Oh, dude, when I because somebody somebody kept telling me you got to watch it, and I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't know, but I turned it on and yeah. it's such a, it was such a, a stereotype to open up the, the series in church, but it was the right thing. Like it was so right. It, it, <laughs> yeah. it was so perfect. And I cannot, yeah. don't skip ahead, watch the whole thing. But since I, since you watched it, I got to ask you second season, yeah. the transfer window when they're getting, acquiring the striker. That might be this. That might be the greatest footage ever filmed behind the scenes in pro sports. That was an absolute Absolutely. fleecing, fleecing, and you watched it right in front of your eyes. It was amazing. Yeah, it just goes it, that, again. Going back to the show in general, the amount of just behind the scenes that you see that it, it, it just whether you are a fan of the game or not, I have zero ties to Sunderland sure. whatsoever. Right. Um, when you watch that, you're like, you can't help but be like invested into what's happening. So, uh, yeah, just just seeing that whole process. They board, turned board, on the cameraman. At one point, they turned on the cameraman. <laughs> like it's it's absolutely it's insane. insane. No, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, just want to remind everybody uh, that in light of COVID-19, Sport Calgary has compiled together a director of webinars and digital events to help you stay connected in the Calgary sport community. Learn more at sportcalgary.ca. Um. Eight-year-old Marco, you're playing soccer growing up in Calgary, right? What's what's the world like? Because at that time, either the Mustangs have just about come or they've left, and Calgary's, you're watching Edmonton get women's tournaments and FIFA games and national team, Vancouver and Toronto and even Ottawa, Montreal, but Calgary's nothing. What was... What was being a young soccer player at eight years old like for Marco? Yeah, I'll be I'll be completely honest. Looking back, um, 
the one thing that stands out to me, and I would I would have been a bit older at that point, but the one thing that I really remember was, I believe it was 2007, we hosted the Under-20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I would have been around 10, 11 years old okay. at that point. Yep. Um, aside from that, Rob, uh, within Canada, even within North America, I was either oblivious or there just wasn't anything in front of my eyes. Uh, and that's a shame uh, as a young soccer player because at the time, I, I like, like today, I love the sport. I played the sport nonstop. But there was nothing here at all. Um, for sure, we had the you know the Whitecaps and Montreal Impact um, in, in the lower leagues, but it wasn't on TV. I didn't no. know about it. I mean, no. At that time, as an eight-year-old kid, Vancouver's a world away. Like All these things are, are just not even in front of me. So, again, I grew up in a family that um, we've been... We've been uh, my, my parents are soccer fans, mm-hmm. and, and it was all around me. And But it was all watching TV and watching the Italian League, watching the English Premier League, right. all that. Right. It was all an ocean away, right? Yeah. Um, and, and what's cool, just to kind of loop it, is you know that, that was my experience uh, as a as an eight year old kid. It was, it was yeah, I love the game, and but it's you know the, the people that I watch are the superstars that are playing uh, in the top division. Again, uh, never mind a world, a universe away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really amazing to see uh, is now I see those eight-year-old kids at Cavalry Games wearing our jerseys with Carducci on the back, with whoever's name on the back. Ledgerwood, whoever, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and just seeing that now, I'm like, that was me. That was 100% me. I would have been that kid who was at every game. My parents would have obviously taken me to every game, but I would have harped on them to get me to every game. Like, it is so impressive now to, to see that growth. Um, I obviously just wish it, it could have happened sooner. Um, but, you know, that's what we're getting. And, and I think that eight-year-old kid, if, if it were me now, um, you know, I'd be over the moon just, just to be able to have this here. Um, so I, I think in the long run, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do just incredible things for, for the sport in this country. So when you're that age and that's going on, like you said, there's nothing, you know, nothing really happening. Guys like me were always saying, well, the problem is, is that everybody's a fan of their home country. Nobody's a fan of Canada. What was it like in your household? What was there a belief in in the Canadian game? Was there a belief that, that, that it would ever take off? I mean, you know, obviously you have roots to, you know, to Italy and, and other places, but did, was there any kind of internal belief in the, in the system in the, in the country? I think there was, uh, and I credit my, my parents for that, but I'm not going to lie. We were certainly, I mean, if you ask me, I was, I was wearing Italy jerseys. And of course, to this day, I, I, you sure. know, I support yeah, yeah. one, watch them and, and that's my heritage. And I'm very proud of that. Um, but you're exactly right. Like it was, it was like, oh, what team do you support? It's like, or what country do you support? Yep. You know, when the World Cup comes around and this and that. It's, exactly. It's, yep. It's Italy. It's yep. Brazil. It's Argentina. It's Germany. It's it's whoever. Right. Um, I just don't really think Canada was was in the picture uh, enough, not anywhere close to where they are now. Because again, I think now, um, both on the men's and the women's mm-hmm. side, especially the women's side. Yeah. Uh, that that that. They're there. They, they are. They're icons. They're they're in the media. They're doing amazing things on the on the highest levels. And um, you know, growing up for me, I, I don't really remember experiencing that. So it was like, yeah, of course, I'm I'm an Italy fan, and if, 
I don't, there's no Canadian team here. I, I watch my, my team and, and I support Italy when the World Cup comes around and the Euros. Um, but now, you know, we have players who are making waves globally. Uh, we all know a name who will pop up there. Um, yeah. But just seeing that growth and, and having, you know, again, now for me to see those eight, nine, ten-year-old kids that are supporting Canada and supporting their local club in the CPL or in the MLS. That's, uh, those are the steps we need to be taking. So I'm just glad that it's happening now. How much credit, how much influence do you think Christine Sinclair, John Herdman, that, that women's team was, you know, because I remember Christine as what, a 15 or 16 year old at the, at the tournament in Edmonton in what, 2002, mm-hmm. um, that next decade really came, you know, up quick and, and were internationally a power. Uh, how much did that help the sport in the country, do you think, Marco? I, I honestly don't think uh, you can like quantify how much hmm. that did. It was incredible. Yeah. They, I mean, um, and, you know, again, I, I don't really remember that earlier stage, but growing up, you see the Canadian national team, the Canadian women's team, um, you know, winning medals at the Olympics, um, pushing in the World Cups, hosting a World Cup a few years ago. Um, that team with John Herdman at the helm and, and someone like Sinclair, who who is a, a legend, yeah. uh, and there's no doubt about it, uh, and arguably the best, in my opinion, the best female player of all time. Um, I mean, it's massive. It's massive what they did, uh, and, and you know, of course, there's been there's been consistent baby steps uh, along the way, which which have been. Um, happening on the men's and the women's size, but what they did to just really elevate their game and get Canada on the map, you know, it took us uh, several steps higher right away. Um, so they deserve all the credit in the world for, for what they did over that time frame. I come from a sport where, you know, we ask parents to give up 16 and 17-year-old young men and let them go and travel. You left home at 14 to to travel and, and play your sport um, Marco, how how difficult was it for you to go to Vancouver, and did you ever think that you'd come home to play when you left? To answer your first question, no, because <laughs> whenever people ask me that, I think it's really important that uh, you know when I made that move out there, I really did not think, um, not seriously at least. I was like, there's in my professional career. Hopefully in my lifetime, I, I think I would have thought, but in my professional career, uh, I, or the time frame for my professional career, I really didn't believe that there would be uh, a team in Calgary yeah. or an opportunity to play for a team in Calgary at a professional level. Um, so so that, there's kind of the first part, um, which obviously uh, I've, been, I've been pleasantly uh, surprised <laughs> by that, which, which is, uh, is incredible. But... Um, yeah, moving out uh, away from home in those four teams certainly wasn't wasn't easy. But you know, one thing I really remember was um, when I got to that point and I was when I was serious and, and I wanted to be a pro. Um, that was the path, and I was so dedicated and committed to taking that path that yeah, I meant to moving from home, and and that by no means was was easy. Um, but you know, I was I was doing what I loved to do and and what I wanted to be doing, and. Uh, you know, making that move out there and, and joining the Whitecaps and just getting myself in a professional environment, uh, that was that was everything for me. So, you know, really it was a no-brainer, but certainly some challenges along the way. 
if I were to talk to your mom or if I was to talk to your parents, how difficult is it to raise a goalkeeper? Because we know in hockey, they, they, you know, there's a lot of, you know, but you can win a game 7-6. Like, you make one mistake, you can lose. Yeah. That's common, right? Like, one mistake or one thing doesn't yeah. go your way. How difficult was it on your parents that you chose to be a goalkeeper? <laughs> I think... You know, I, I I might have to ask them the same question. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, first and foremost, when I look back uh, to this day as well, the amount of support I got from both my mom and my dad um, was was so critical for me because you're you're exactly right for for all players really, but yeah. as a goalkeeper in any sport, uh, it's a high pressure position, uh, and I definitely remember. Um, some of those moments where I was uh, very hard on myself mm-hmm. and, you know, they're kind of left with picking up the pieces and getting me back together and, and going. And, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that my dad was essentially my coach from about 10 years old to 14 when I went to wow. school. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So he, he, and uh, he basically taught me everything I knew. Uh, and he, he was a goalkeeper himself and, and he loved the game and he loved ah, the okay. but he, yeah, and he definitely nudged me in that direction, but he poured himself into helping me uh, develop. Hmm. Uh, and I loved it, and I loved every second of it. Um, but without him, without him giving me that nudge, giving me the push when I needed it, uh, he was hard on me when, I, when he needed to be hard on me. Uh, and he also was my dad when I needed him to, needed him to be my dad. Um, without him, there's no way I'd ever be anywhere close to where I am today. So the support I had from, from both my parents, um, <laughs> definitely not easy to, to raise a goalkeeper, uh, for several reasons. Um, but the, the, the roles that they played, uh, I'll always be grateful. Where I'm a little bit fuzzy, Marco, is you go and you're in the Academy with the white caps. They're an MLS team. They obviously have different levels. Why don't you, stay there or does it work that way would you have gone to college what were the options what were the paths that were available to you by going that route yeah so essentially um when i joined the program i joined the under 16 academy so like like you mentioned you know you have the first team which is the soccer way of saying you know that's the professional team that's that's the team you watch on tv um for, for MLS clubs and, and the Whitecaps in, in particular, it's shifted over time, but, you know, you, you're your second team or your reserve team, and then below that, um, you're kind of academy program and, and your youth players. So I joined the U16 that progressed my way through. I finished all my high school out there, and um, the fork in the road for me was essentially uh, look at opportunities to take scholarships and most of them would have been in the NCAA and mm-hmm. that's an incredible path. And a lot of very successful soccer players now go that route and, and have amazing careers in the MLS or overseas um, or go pro, you know, and uh, that opportunity presented itself to me. I had some, some good offers uh, after finishing high school, but the first team was also uh, pulling me into their environment more often. They invited me to preseason uh, and eventually I got offered a contract. Um, so, you know, at that point, it's I, my dream is to become a pro. Yep. I said, here, it's here now. And, you know, who knows the, the game and, and anything, really, the, the world can change very quickly. So uh, it might not be here in the future, so I want to take it. And I went that route. 
Uh, and I was one of the few players who, who was a homegrown player who worked their way through the academy and, and signed with the first team. Um, the key distinction is, you know, once you get to the first team, it's the pros. Yep. Uh, and, and, of course, um, things have improved in places where younger players get opportunities to get loaned out or go play in, in environments where uh, they develop those skills and get that, that, that experience at the higher levels. Um, but, you know, once you go into the first team environment, which I was in for three seasons, uh, again, an incredible experience, but that was my kind of baptism by fire in, in the pro game. And at that point, it's kind of sink or swim, and, and you have to, to figure out, you know, what happens next. And, and after three seasons, I eventually moved on. If the CPL had not started, where would you have been last year, do you feel? That's a great question. Um, you know, I've been a lot more comfortable talking about this, and I'll, and I'll certainly open up. After I left Vancouver at the end of 2016, um, it certainly wasn't the high point. I wasn't playing very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, a couple years before, was, I don't like to use this word about myself, but, you know, you're kind of like a golden boy coming up through the program, and things are going really well, and, and sure. then you kind of plateau. You hit the wall, yep. and I certainly did that. Um, you go from being prospect and, to suspect, right? hundred percent you know you're next thing you know it's like i thought you know this is a club i've been up with forever and you yeah. know you, you kind of get in that mindset where sure. you're like i'm going to be the start of this team that's not how it works yep. it's not it's never a straight path like that no nope. uh so i ended up actually um moving down to texas for a season in 2017 uh, and played in the usl which is you know the, the second division in, in the north american scheme in the states yep um and same kind of thing that, you know, I was excited. It was a new opportunity. It was a, it was a chance to go somewhere to play because that's really what I needed. I needed to get minutes. I needed to be playing. Um, that season did not go anywhere near as planned. Uh, and that was the point where um, I actually really wasn't sure. I didn't know if I wanted to just go grind it out somewhere else and hope for the best. Uh, you kind of, you're moving every, every year and, and scrapping by and, and hoping for that breakthrough. Um, and then I heard rumblings about the CPL. So, um, things kind of, uh, fell into place in that sense, but, you know, without the CPL, um, you know, I probably would have tried to bounce around a few more clubs in the USL and, and, you know, for all, for all I know, I could have stuck on somewhere and, and my career could have taken a, another path, good or bad. Um, but I'm just grateful that the timing came where I came back home, I played in 2018 here and, and, you know, here we are. Was the were you on the national? I mean, because you had played for the national team as a junior, you'd played, but under sixteen, I believe, and in, in you know in that. So you were again, you were known a known quantity. But a couple of years ago, were you off the radar for the national team, or were you still kind of on the radar? They, they certainly knew my name, uh, yeah. and I got a call up in two thousand and seventeen for the under twenty threes, gotcha. which is like the last yeah. youth. That's like our Olympic kind of age group. Yep. Um, but outside of that, uh, completely off the radar. You know, they know who you are, but I'm, I'm too old for the youth, and you're not anywhere close to being on the men's team. Um, so as much as, you know, people know who you are and this and that, again, it's at a point it's, it's sink or swim, and are you, are you progressing in that pro game? Are you playing? Uh, and I wasn't at that point, and um, the men's national team was uh, – a distant kind of dream uh, three years ago, for sure. 
So did they? Did you have to be sold on the CPL? Like, and and I say that with all due respect to the history of the game, particularly in this city, indoor, outdoor, doesn't matter. There were lots of offshoots. There was lots of. There was never a facility. Now, foothills under twenty three, the P, you know PDL team was had a little bit of you know traction there, and we'll get to Tommy in a second. But did anybody have to sell you on on the concept of the CPL if it, if it was going to be the right place for you? No, actually, that, and that's the funny thing. And I look back, and I and I uh, I give myself a little bit of a pat on the back. So I'm like, hey, that was a good decision because mm-hmm. uh, obviously how things have played out and, and being a part of this has been incredible. Um, you know what? I will say that it, it definitely was a big risk, uh, and, I, and I won't deny that because yeah. uh, I talked about going from a few years earlier, imagining that there was there was no chance I'd ever play professionally in Calgary not even in my mind. Uh, the second I heard about the CPL and I'm talking about sitting in my room in my apartment in Texas, scrolling through Twitter, looking for rumors, like I'm really digging wow. here and what might be happening. Wow. I was the biggest optimist. Yeah. I was yeah. the biggest optimist about the CPL because I thought, Hey, this is, this is for someone like me. Um, and I was just fingers crossed, hoping for the best. And, you know, uh, that's when I did get back in touch with Tommy, someone, someone who I've known for, for years okay. since I was a kid. Yep. Uh, and we kept in touch and, and, and uh, kept a great relationship throughout those years. Um, but pretty much as soon as, as I heard about this, I, I knew he would have had some involvement. Mm. And uh, I remember reaching out uh, and just being like, hey, what can you tell me? Uh, knowing that he couldn't really say much and, and he couldn't say much, but he, he did keep me in the loop and he did uh, provide me some information. And, and from that point, I was 100% sold. See, and let's, so let's talk about Tommy because I first met him in 2014. The radio station hired him as our World Cup analyst. And so he'd come in every day and we'd talk about the World Cup matches, but it was in between commercials. We'd be talking and he'd be talking about you know, PDL and a path to a Canadian league. And I'm like, well, this is awesome. First of all, I'm glad you're saying this. I'm glad, but dude, you don't know how many times I've had this conversation. You know, I I had the same conversation when Martin Nash was playing for Ross and Garrow and the Edmonton Drillers indoor team. I mean, you know, I just, so many times, because you want it to work and it doesn't work. And I've seen two XFLs and I've seen a WHA2 and I've seen all of these startups and, and it just, Starting something like a league is so difficult, but, you know, I watched Tommy and I watched the PDL and I watched Foothills and he just went about his business. I, I'm a big believer in Tommy Wielden Jr. Tell me about when you first met him and, and your relationship with your manager. Well, first thing, uh, yeah, what I mentioned was um, I actually never played for Foothills growing up. Yep. In fact, I remember a lot of very uh, heated rivalries uh, <laughs> at the youth level. Sure. Foothills. Sure. What I what I do remember was um, Tommy was always someone who who I had a, a good relationship with. I think he uh, he tried to poach me more than once to, to make them move over <laughs> Foothills. And you know, at that time, sure, when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, that's that's the pinnacle. That's what you know. That's a compliment, right? Hungry, I mean, yeah. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. And, and, you know, it was competitive and everything. So, so we had oh, a great yeah. relationship. Um, the time I spent in Vancouver, every time I'd come home, you know, during, during Christmas and, and the, uh, the summer months, whatever, or the kind of off season where he, he was, uh, 
welcoming me. He had me at uh, the the training facilities to to keep sharp over over those those kind of off season little breaks, uh, and we kept a, a great relationship going that whole time. Um, that obviously blossomed and really took off when I came back home, and I joined the the, the PDL with Foothills in 2018, which was the runway to yeah. to the CPL. Um, but you know what? Um, first and foremost, he, he's an incredible manager. Manager, he's a uh, fantastic coach, and and very good at what he does. Um, and you know, he just proves that every day. Um, but he's a person who, uh, you know, for me, I'm forever, forever, uh, grateful for because he, he vouched for me and he stood up for me. And, and you know, it was at a time where, um, I just needed somewhere to be, sure. uh, where I could kind of establish myself and, you know, he wanted me to be that guy. Uh, and he gave me that opportunity and, and, you know, I had to take it, but, uh, but he opened that door and, um, you know, now we have a working relationship and as a coach and, and a player. And again, I think he shows why he's so good at what he does. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he, he played a very, very key part for me in a, in a point in my career where I need someone to do that. And like I said, I'm, I'm grateful for him for that. So, t- you know, we, we've touched a little bit, t- bits and pieces, but tell us about that inaugural season out at ATCO and, and that first year in the CPL. Because I said before, you know, the jaundiced old media guy, I've seen them come, I've seen them go, and the hardest thing to do is start a league and, and grow a league. And, you know, in my time, I guess the NLL is about the only thing that I can say that, you know, and that has its own set of heartbreaks. That was as good a start to a, a, a league that I've ever seen. Uh was it as good internally as it appeared from the outside? I would say it went above expectations. Yeah. And I think everyone everyone kind of shares that sentiment, whether you were watching from the outside looking in, um, you know, as a player, as a coach, as a fan. Uh, it really, you know, it was tough because you almost didn't know what to expect. And, and you're not the only person to have said, you know what, like, yeah, of course I want this to work. Um, I've been here before. And I've heard that from sure. from many people, and you're just like, well, hopefully, you know, it does take off. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, from my perspective as a player, like the the level of players that were in the league, the level of quality competition, the the stadiums, the the fan base, you know, how it was ran and from top to bottom, it just blew everything out of the water. So again, you know, for year one, I think that was really special. It, it restored faith for me. Right, because you get caught up mm-hmm. in, yeah. yeah, well, maybe, yeah, it never works, that sort of thing. And then here we go again. The yeah. culture that we talked about before, right away, hit the ground running with a culture, the facility. You know, the first game, there's snow, but that just it didn't seem to bother anybody, right? And and you know, there's yeah. there's parking or whatever. Everybody has those things you work your way through, but it just people seem to embrace it. People seem to talk about it. Seem to love it, and. You know, I can't. The pro, the problem with the CPL is I really can't speak to the rest of the league. I just know how good it was in Calgary, right? Yeah, you know what? One thing I would say to to your points there is that, like, uh, I think what what was so successful about this league, um, really kicking off on on, on a high note, was um, they took that approach where let's make it organic, let's build it up, let's let's really connect with. The key stakeholders, not just, you know, first things first, it's, it's the ownership groups that are going in and, and putting in the money and, and yeah. you know, taking that burden and that responsibility, uh, but they vetted them and they made sure that these were people that were in, um, 
and invested for, for the long run, and they saw the value uh, in a league like this. But then it was about the fans and connecting with the people and connecting with the country uh, and, and building these teams and getting players that represented cities. And, you know, when, when they're taking that approach, you knew this is not just on the back of a napkin, putting some numbers together and saying, yeah, it might work. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this was, this was a process um, that I think really went above and beyond. And, and you know, uh, to the second part of your question, <laughs> of course I'm biased, but we set the, we set the, the benchmark. Okay. Um, you know, what, what we've done here, and that's credit to our ownership, uh, our, our, our coaching staff, kind of like Tommy, but starting from, from uh, you know, Linda Southern Hefcott and, and Spruce Meadows and that whole organization in general, um, having them do things the way they do it, which is always world-class, um, again, it just set the bar. And it's a completely different world. It's a completely different sport. Um, but those principles that just carried right over. And, uh, and I know we saw that elsewhere in the league too. But again, you know, here in Calgary, it was, it was uh, when there was an issue – like the parking, <laughs> the next game, yeah. which was four days later, sure. it was fixed. Yep. Uh, and, and, and they learned and improved, and it was never a thing. And, and that happened throughout the year, where things just constantly improved, and I can see that happening for, for years to come. So we're in good time. Yeah, you know, I, I saw this Canadian base, Professional Baseball League and the Northern League come in here. I saw the ABA. They didn't treat the players really well, and this sounds odd because sports, you know, pro sports is supposed to be about the fans, but unless you treat the players, unless the players want to be there, unless the players want to come back, no point in having mm-hmm. a league. I get the sense that that in year 1 you were able to do that. That that it was an environment that that you know was professional and and people, you know, want to be at. Exactly. No, yeah, for sure. And I think I think there's certainly room for improvement um when you talk in general um and as a player, you know, I'll, oh, I'll, sure. You, you you want to see those improvements and you want to be a part of them. Um, but again, you know, in terms of, especially from my perspective as a player here, um, everything was done so professionally. Uh, and and um, there certainly will be improvements and there already were uh, until, until this uh, season got postponed. Um, but I think you're exactly right. It, it's got to be happened on all fronts. And, and I think we're seeing that. So, so it's a positive sign. I want to ask you about something that happened that, um, you know, you couldn't write in a storybook, I don't think. Uh, an inaugural season, um, it's a sport that allows interleague play and actually demands interleague play. You get a chance to play your former club um, and really did the whole league a service by beating the Whitecaps. What, what was that experience like and how meaningful was that experience? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty incredible for sure. I think um, you know when I look at it from the perspective of not only myself but, but my team, um, a lot of guys had ties to the Whitecaps mm-hmm. in the past, and, and there was some something extra special about that. We knew what we did in, in knocking them out of the Canadian Championship, and uh, that was incredible for us as a team and an amazing achievement, and, and something we I think we absolutely earned and, and deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really special thing about all that, you know, you take away the individual, you take away the team. It's what we did for the league yeah. and for soccer in, in Canada. Because I think, you know, up until that point, people were impressed and they saw and they said, you know what, yeah, it's, it looks good, the, the level is decent, but, where, you know, where do they really stand and what's it like? And there were a lot of naysayers, and, and there always will be, right? Sure. But 
Um, that put our league on the map. Uh, and beyond that, that said, you know what? This is a team made up with a bunch of, you know, mostly young Canadian players that are aspiring to, to progress their game and be at the next level. And they're good yeah. <laughs> because we went and proved it on the pitch. Um, so, you know, doing that, I think it, it just it just put us on the on the map, and and that was really cool to be a part of. Well, I think you would agree, Marco, that you know, for a startup league, if you, you know, if you didn't pick up your first decision in the Canadian Championships until four or five years in, oh, that's okay, you'll eventually get them. Year one, you're there. Don't I don't care where whoever what the, the, where they are in the MLS is immaterial. That's the MLS. They're established. Yeah. They're supposed to roll over a new league made up, you know, predominantly Canadian players. To me, that was a huge historical moment in Calgary sports. When we look back and we write the sports history of Calgary, that has to be a a chapter in it. And I can't help but wonder, and we're still in the infancy, but I can't help but wonder what we're going to think of that moment 10 years from now, what that moment will have meant. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you, that you bring that up and, and, uh, you know, from my perspective, I remember we played them at home in the first leg, um, and we tied zero zero. And I remember walking off the pitch thinking, you know, we, we held our own. We tied them no no. We'll go there. We have nothing to lose. Yep. Um, because, like you said, I mean, and we didn't believe this. Of course, we didn't. But people would have thought uh, yeah. they'll just roll over this. Sure, thing. no problem. Right. You know, it'll be yeah, just yeah. kind of like a, a no contest. Yep. Great, everyone's there. It was a cool experience. We didn't go into it thinking that whatsoever. We went in thinking, let's win. Um, but we tied nil-nil, and then we fought for that that result, and then we beat them on, on their field. And, uh, you know, hearing that come from you, saying, you know, this is something that, looking back, we'll just kind of reflect on. Again, as a player that was involved in that, it's like, what can I say? I mean, that's just, a, just an amazing thing that, again, those extra special ties that I have, you know, being my sure. former club and, club and, and 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 making you know being a part of that but just you know for sport history in the city and the country uh in general yeah it'll be something i'll tell my grandkids about for sure wasn't quite the fairy book or fairy tale ending obviously with the final result um yeah. which i think in, in a way was from an outside you would have you know wanted it and want the ring i get that part but it was. It made year two very interesting for me, because you you did so much. You did so much. You got to the end. Now are these guys going to come back with a big massive chip on their shoulder? Right. That that's what I'm thinking. They're going to have a big chip on their shoulder because I love that about sport. That's that's sport. Yeah. Right. Is it wasn't quite perfect. Right. Year one. Yeah. Just because of the one result. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because we we had such a successful year. Um, you know, that running Canadian Championship was, was was impressive and and amazing to be a part of. Sure. Um, you know, we 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 finished on top of the table and in, in you know both yep. segments of, of the season and in the total season combined. Um, but you know, that's the way it worked. It was it came down to two games uh, against a team who uh, in Hamilton that that. Um, we had good good matches against all year long. You know, we we traded blows all year, and, and over the two games, uh, you know, they came out the winners, and and that's the way the the, the season worked out. So you know, it, it is what it is when you look back now. Um, but absolutely, you know, it was unfinished business because you know we knew uh, the work we did all year long. It didn't finish in that uh, fairy fairy tale ending, like like you you'd said. And yeah. uh, you know what? Now it's just okay. Well, well. 
let's here we go again right let's let's you know shake it off get back up and now we've done that it's been months right and oh yeah we're ready to go again but uh uh you know what that's the beauty of it it's like yeah we absolutely do feel that there's some unfinished business and you know when this season does kick off and, and into the future and into the seasons to come uh, we know uh, what that next step is what's the what's the latest or what's your current status with the the men's national team what i mean that's on pause obviously as well right now yeah exactly you know what i, I uh I'm not sure how much i think i was in in the in the running to to get another call up um which, which is great to know that i'm that i'm in that picture um obviously that's gone on pause just like just like everything else so uh, at this point, I really don't know. I don't know when we're playing again. I don't know how the the games have been uh, altered, but um, it's it's an incredible honor to get that call up. And, and if, if the chance comes again uh, by the end of this year or or into next year, whatever it might be, I'm just going to make sure that I'm that I'm doing uh, my job here for my club team and continuing to perform well and show that uh, um, when they need to call on me, I'll be ready to go. So we'll have to wait and see, but. Yeah, one step at a time. I'm no math wizard, but I got you pegged for being about 29 when 2026 rolls around, which pretty much is the prime, I think, for a good football player. Um, what do you think? I mean, you know, you know what the burden is as a Canadian. It's funny you you talked about it before about, um, you know, the problem with being a Canadian fan is that you know you have to skip the World Cup to this, you know, since '86, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Davies is out there. We've got another player that I think is about to be sold to a Bundesliga club. What do you think? Are we are we about to emerge back onto the the world stage? Well, you know what, I'm I'm no math whiz either, Rob. But I've certainly uh, done the done the formulas and the equations a couple of times, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've uh, you know, it's hard not to, right? Like. Um, that certainly is something that you say, you know, going, you know, going into your early thirties as a goalkeeper is when a lot of people say like, that's when you're yeah. the prime. Sure. Um, cause you get that wealth of experience and, and you, if you can hold up physically, uh, you're flying. So I've certainly, I've certainly, uh, ran the numbers myself. Um, you know, on that, uh, I know it's, it's kind of the cliche answer, but it's very true for me. Like I, I'm, I'm a day by day person. I just focus on what's in front of me and controlling that. So I'm not getting too caught up I, I get that, yeah. uh, in that big picture. Sure. Um, but you know what? I, I, I 100% have to say, you know, you look at Alfonso Davies, you look at several other players playing in Europe, uh, guys in the MLS, uh, the, the emergence of the CPL, all these factors, uh, players that are, that are coming onto the scene and, and, and showing themselves at the highest level. Um, we're, we're making big strides in the right direction. And that's just incredibly exciting. And, uh, you know, for myself personally, to, to, to even just play a small role in that, uh, and, and to hopefully be in that picture down the line, which is 100% my goal. Um, it's exciting. It's, it's very exciting times. If you were, if you were John Herdman, if you were, you know, the King of the world in 2026, 2022, whatever, the next time we're, you know, bringing the best group together, what style could we play? Doesn't Dave, doesn't isn't Davies a game changer? Because we've had to play a very conservative <laughs> yeah. style, right? We've had to play from the midfield, essentially. But with us, with mm-hmm. him, could we not play a really exciting brand? 
I 100% think we could. Um, I think we have those players now um, that, that can make that difference and, and are game changers. Uh, Alfonso Davies being one of them, but there's several others you yep. know you could choose that are that are playing their trade at the highest levels. Um, but you know, one thing I think, and, and this is what I've experienced um, with someone like John Herdman at the helm, um, I feel like we've almost become, uh, you know, almost more mature in a way. And and there, you, you see this team that has grown and developed, and, and now can establish ourselves as, as you know the big dog in more games rather than saying, okay, we got to shirk up shop and, and just you know, get a result or grind out a result. Right. We're not doing that anymore. But at the same time, um, I think the team has just grown so much and developed so much. And that's me from the outside looking in and also being a part of those teams that have gone on and gotten big results in, in, in the recent past. You know, we beat the United States 2-0 in Toronto a few months back. Yeah. Um, you know, we ended up losing in the reverse light, but you know, that was that was a massive achievement and, and again a big statement. Um but we outplayed them one hundred percent in that first game. Uh, and we have the capabilities to do that now. Um so yeah, I think long story short is you know, we can go in and, and yeah, instead of instead of just kind of being timid and, and trying to eke out a result now it's like, yeah, let's go let's go be the the, the people who, who step in and, and take this game. I kind of feel like for a Canadian you know, football fan that what we really want to – the World Cup, yes, I get that, and that's where we got to be. We really need to go to a Gold Cup, kick American ass, you know, run with the Mexicans, yeah. and you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then get into yeah. qualifying and go to some of those Caribbean countries and other places where, you know, we beat the tar out of them up here and then we go down and lose 8-0. Like, I've never been more deflated in my mm-hmm. life, Right. But there's a real opportunity yeah. here now. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's not easy. And Concacaf is an incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a place to play in. You know, you talk about the United States and, and, and Mexico and respect where to do though. They're both two arguably world class uh, teams sure. with, with incredible players. But I 100% agree. That's where it starts. It starts with solidifying ourselves uh, in in this um, you know part of our world and. And, and being a dominant player, uh, competing with the states and, and Mexico regularly, uh, and kind of being that, getting into that picture where you know, we're we're in that frame with with uh, that next core coming through, not you know, where we've been in the past. But I think again, you know, not to get too far into the details, it's we're making those strides, and that's that's exciting to see. Dude, I just want to turn on a, the World Cup one year and have a guy with an English accent analyze a game and say, I'm taking the Canadians. Canadians are moving through. That's what I want to yeah. see. That's I want can I want somebody to pick Canada to be the top of a pool. I want Canada to be in a you, death pool, but everybody yeah. picking them to come out. That would be the best. Hey, you and me both and, and uh and I'm I'm hoping that I'll be the, the starting goal uh, in that game. You and me both. Absolutely. You and me both. <laughs> um before I let you go, a couple of things I want to take care of housekeeping items because um we Glossed over it a little bit, but I do think it's worth noting. Um, we were talking about your path and your career path, and you, you talked about the NCAA, but you chose to go pro. I don't want to frame this as, oh, he's a dumb jock. You are currently a pro player taking university. You are working through to a degree, are you not? Rob, I had an exam this morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Wednesday, July 8th, and I, uh, yeah, exactly. So thank you. Yeah, I, and that's something that is really important to me. Um, uh, the life outside of the game as well. So, 
that that path wasn't an easy choice but like i said going pro was my my dream uh and i knew that i could do school alternatively uh, and that's what i've done I've, I've been i've been plugging away at it online and and uh um, i got a new course coming up right now i'm looking at the textbook and um you know for me it's just it's just very important as something that i'm really passionate about uh, doing you know that career outside of the game eventually uh, and also just preparing myself for that for that future and uh, i think for for young athletes and and uh, you know what i'm not to not to go too far into the details but i was just listening to your podcast with uh is it cara cara button oh um, uh, yeah from, yeah yeah from game plan and i get their emails and i'm so i you know i, I almost that inspired me to uh to reach out to her because that program is doing incredible things and I've taken advantage of some of the, yep. the, uh, the programs that they have. Um, but yes, uh, long story short, I'm, um, I'm currently enrolled online and plugging away at my, uh, my studies what, while I'm able to pursue my professional career. What's the goal? What are you, what are you hoping to graduate with? I'm hoping to finish with a finance degree. Okay. Um, okay. so I'm in a diploma program right now and then the long-term picture is to, to ladder it into that. Uh, and you know what? We live in, a, in an age where, again, a lot of things have been very fortunate. I've, I've never stepped foot on a campus, Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, and uh, I've never seen it with my own eyes, not yet at least, um, which is just incredible because I've sure. been able to, to, to continue that part of my life. And, and again, something I'm, I'm it's very important to me, um, and it's all online. And uh, But, yeah, the, the goal is, is to get a finance degree uh, down the line, so we'll just keep plugging away at it. We've talked a lot about the growth of the game and the importance of, of growing the game. You're doing something as well that I think we should talk about it, and that's the ambassadorship, and that's being a face in the community, and that is giving back, which some people will go, well, it's results on the field. Yeah, that's true, but you're an ambassador for kids' sport. Uh, you've been really gracious with your time with us. It was Heroes of this year, talking to, to our Heroes kids. But can you just talk about, Marco, that the importance for you as an athlete to be in the community, to have that community presence? It's it's huge. And I, and I think, um, you know, first of all, I'd like to say thank you and, and you know, uh, credit where it's due for yourself. The, the amount of hats that you wear, Rob, it's, uh, it's actually quite inspirational, um, you know, and, and the different roles you play in. Uh, in progressing uh, society on a, on a lot of fronts, so so thank you to you. Well, that's kind of that. thank you. Um, yeah, and, and for me, you know, kid sport was was just a simple decision. I came back home, and sport has been such an important thing for me. And and I knew, uh, you know, to to your point about having that platform and having that brand, um, I knew I can make an impact. And, and for me, it's an honor. Um, but it's also a responsibility. It's also a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And then for me, um, you know, kids sport resonated with me on so many fronts. And, and immediately I said, how do I, how do I get involved and how do I help? Because Calgary is my home. Um, sport has given me next to everything. You know, it is, yep. it's incredible um, how many opportunities I've been given. And, and, you know, if I can play a small role in, in uh, you know, using my platform and, and using myself to 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 advance that and, and to give more opportunities to kids who, who otherwise wouldn't have it um like i said it's just it's it's uh it's really a privilege to be able to do that well i think it's important and i think it's it's a legacy here in calgary and part of these podcasts is going back and looking at the history of calgary and how many 
successful Calgarians who either came to Calgary or were in Calgary, had stayed in Calgary, how important that is to the culture of sport. And I, I mentioned before, like upstart leagues and new teams, you know, the players can't just be there and go away because then you're out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You, Nick, you know, Martin's here, Tommy's here all year long. Is That's part of it. People need to believe. People need to see. And, and you know, we talked about eight-year-old Marco, and, and it's it's exactly what you said. Now, eight-year-old Charlie or eight-year-old Vanessa or whatever can come to Echo Park and, and see that. He grew up in my neighborhood, and look what he's doing. That's so important. So I'm so proud of you and so happy right. that you're giving back to the community because success on the pitch is, is great, but you need to, to pair it. And I know, you know, I know Ian Allison, and I know Tommy. I know that's what they're all about, but the fact that you're giving back I think is – just as important as the the results on the pitch early on. So good on you for doing that, pal. Good on you for understanding that you need to do that too. All right. The hardest question I'm going to ask you is the final question. I ask everybody this. No parameters, sir. Give me Marco Carducci's hidden Calgary gem. What is your hidden Calgary gem? Nice one. Great question. Um, Okay, I got one. I think... uh, there's a lot to choose from. I love the city. So much to do. I'm still exploring it. Cause I lived, I moved away for so long. Sure. And I'm like, I haven't experienced, I haven't experienced the city as an adult really. Um, you know, I like, yep. Don't mean that in like, you know, you know. Time, but, yeah, yeah. um, I love Bridgeland and there is a, uh, Italian restaurant called La Dolce Vita LDV for short. If you want good pizza, and you want to be in a in a nice a nice little spot as well, go there. That's that's my spot. So that's awesome. LDV. That's awesome. If they if they're if you're listening to this, anyone from LDV, I'll take I'll take some forms <laughs> down the line. Just let me <laughs> let me know. Free pizzas, no problem. <laughs> Dude, you are the best, Marco. Continued success. I know last year was great, and and. You know, there's a lot of things, reasons to be frustrated by what's happening. But for me, the big one is not being able to watch you guys get out there in year number two. And when you do, I know good things will happen. So continued success, sir. Thank you so much for everything you do for our community. And thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Rob, for having me. It was a pleasure. How much fun was that? Marco is an amazing young man. Um, really excited about his future. Can't wait to find out what uh, the future holds for the CPL here in the pandemic, obviously. But I hope when they get back to normal and things start rocking again, uh, wow, the Cavalry had a great, great uh, inaugural season of course we talked to tommy wielden jr earlier he was one of our guests on the podcast but marco is a good kid nice kid nice young man doing the right things kid sport ambassador i i just got nothing but good things to say about marco carducci uh if you enjoyed this podcast please go to spotify or go to apple Podcasts, subscribe make sure you don't miss a copy of it in uh, Thoroughly enjoyed uh, the participation of all of our guests. Uh, Jeff Schnauth, Mike Board, a couple of local general managers of late have been on the program. Uh, we talked to all kinds of people. Check it out. We're up to nearly 60 podcasts and, and couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Uh, this has been the original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca.